writer, director, and pro-choice. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and Dua Lipa super fan. Oh, interesting. Oh my god, have you heard Future Nostalgia? No, I haven't. It's really good. I I love a female pop vocal. Mm-hmm. My like Spotify like most listened to was uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, Lana Del Rey, um, Miley... Uh, Ariana Grande, it's like all that kind of stuff. Rihanna. So Dua Lipa has joined the, the all of us. She's also a gay icon in a strange. I don't think she's queer in any way, but she's kind of reached this like share level of like gay iconship. And like it's just it's sad because it's like dancey pop stuff, but no one can go to the club anymore. <laughs> I dance at home. Yeah, exactly. You're just dancing at home. You're truly, as Robin said, dancing on your own. <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Okay, so say why you're pro-choice in your little intro. Well, because we may or may not have Alexis McGill Johnson, the acting CEO of Planned Parenthood, coming in later for some tough questions. Did you think that you had to say that so she would start listening and go, "Oh, okay, phew, this was uh, this was an episode worth doing." <laughs> No, I've just run out of descriptors and I was desperately <gasps> racking my brain and thought, oh, that'll be thematic. Yeah. Well, I think the people know your political stances by now, right? Have, remember people used to be surprised that you were liberal? Does that happen anymore? I don't think they were surprised I was liberal. I think they were surprised I was so political, which didn't make any sense. Uh, I think way in the beginning, people assumed because you were into marriage, you must be conservative. I never got like, wow, I can't believe you're liberal i just got like shut up about your views well as we said we have an incredible episode for you guys we're going to be talking to alexis mcgill johnson the acting ceo of planned parenthood then we're going to discuss sleep what is our relationship to sleep mine is horrible so i can't wait to talk about it it's so can't wait to dive in i mean now that we're in quarantine sleep is pretty much all we have so i thought it'd be topical Uh, i i want advice from our listeners to be honest okay (laughs) but first hit it International question! International question! International question! Kelly, Indiana. Kelly says, how do you balance not reassurance seeking and communication in romantic relationships? So she said, I was recently in a sort of romantic relationship where I was constantly worried about the state of it. If my partner liked me, the other people interested in her and stuff like that. I have social anxiety and I've dealt with similar concerns with friendships before. So instead of sharing them with the person, I worked through my fears and used cognitive therapy techniques to calm my worries about the relationship. The relationship ended recently and it turns out my worries and concerns about the relationship were right. It got Mm. me thinking. I know many of the ways I behaved in that relationship were not good for me. And part of the problem I realized in hindsight was the fact that I felt probably correctly that sharing my concerns would make the relationship collapse. Mm. But this sets up a major dilemma for me. I always worry that people are not telling me the complete truth about how they feel about me because of my anxiety. And sometimes I use reassurance as a safety behavior rather than tolerating the uncertainty that I can't read people's minds. I also don't want to be the person who is needy and asks for reassurance too much because that could be overwhelming for the other person. But I obviously need to communicate my concerns and process my feelings, especially when I'm in an open relationship like that was. So how does one both communicate effectively and reduce reassurance seeking in a romantic relationship? 
Oh my God. First of all, congratulations to you, Kelly, on how much therapy you have clearly done. I know. You are really. so self-aware. Jesus. Go star to your therapists. I, this is wild how self-aware you are in like writing about what's going on with you. Damn. Okay. So Allison, this is uh this person, like I think could be you, like you could have written this. I could have written this a couple years ago. A couple ago. years ago, yeah. Um, I think that what happened was you were just in the wrong relationship. So oh. the fact that like you suspected and were correct that if you brought up any of your concerns about the relationship, that the relationship would collapse and then that ended up being right, you just like weren't in a good relationship. So I think that sometimes when that happens and you've done so much self-work and then you you follow through on that self-work and then the relationship still fails. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I'm the, I'm making mistakes. I clearly still need to do a lot of work. I'm, I'm not behaving correctly. But in reality, the amount of people that we're actually compatible with is very small. Mm -hmm. So it might have just been that you were with the wrong person. And so all of the most effective techniques in the entire world are not going to work if you're with the wrong person. It also sucks to feel like you're doing all of this work to make yourself better and the other person isn't <laughs> doing anything. Yeah. And I think that communication and reassurance are two different things. Ooh, speak and I on think, it, speak on it. I think it's important to like make those, distinguish them so that you don't get away with like getting reassurance and being like, but I'm just communicating. Communicating is saying, hey, I'm feeling a little weird because of what you did about this. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on why you're behaving this way. Uh -huh. And then your partner will say, okay, I was having a weird day. We're in quarantine. I can't see my family for six months. I'm sorry. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. Communication. Reassurance is your partner is acting distant. So instead of like asking why or what's going on, you go, hey, do you love me? Oof. Yeah. Do you love me? Do you yeah. love me so much? Like how much do you love me? Do you uh, think we'll be together forever? Could you imagine a world without me? Like that's reassurance. That's not communication. Right. Yes. I think that like what Kelly needs to do is still really work on her reassurance seeking and make sure that she's not doing that. But that doesn't mean you can't communicate with your partner and you should communicate with your partner. But it's accepting that when they tell you something, then you go, OK, I believe what you said. Because that's all you can go on. Like I really I really related to the part about reading people's minds because mm -hmm. you can't. You just have to go on what they're telling you. However... It really sucks when you have these instincts and like you can kind of read situations really well and then you're sort of always right about the bad thing happening. Like that's, what's the balance between like following your instincts and knowing that something is up and then also being like, well, I have to take at face value what my partner is telling me because I don't have other information as I am not a psychic. I think you have to look at the longevity of their upsetting behavior, right? So if it's like one night where like your partner is like being a little weird and you say, hey, like, what's up? And they're like, nothing, I'm fine. And you're like, okay, but you know they're not fine, but they clearly are choosing not to tell you. Mm -hmm. But then like within an hour and a half, you're back to normal. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But if it's like weeks of your partner being weird and not telling you, then that's something that's work act worth acting on. Then it's worth being like, hey, I feel blank. I feel like you're not being communicative with me. 
give them that opportunity to finally be communicative. And if they're not, then, you know, if your partner makes you feel shitty or weird all the time, then that's not a good partner. And that's not somebody you want to be with. Yeah, I guess don't put words in their mouth. I've been guilty of being like, you're upset because of this, this and this. I'm a detective. (laughs) And it's like, Mm -hmm. you have to be like, hey, why are you upset? Without trying to fill in the blanks for them and without trying to be like, is it this? Is it this? Like, let them bring it up. Let them tell you. Don't like give them. Having enough self-confidence that you don't automatically assume that you're always the problem. Oh, God. Yeah. A lot of times you're like, oh, my God, it's me. It's me. It's me. And then they're like, no, I just like I I couldn't I couldn't write as much as I wanted to today or like my mom said something fucked up or whatever. The communication part is important where like you kind of in when you're in a good place, have like a generalized conversation with your partner where you're like, hey, you know, I have anxiety. And so it would really behoove me if when you are upset with me, you just tell me Mm -hmm. so that I can understand what I did wrong. We can work through it. But like if you do any sort of like withholding distant behavior, then that's when I start to really spin out. So if we yeah. can just have an agreement where if I'm the if I'm the cause of your irritation or I'm the cause of you feeling badly, you just tell me, then I can then assume that when you don't tell me it's me, that it's not me. Yeah, totally. I've been working on this with my partner where like if I'm disappointed or if I have like a feeling, it's not necessarily that they have to fix it. If they even if they do something annoying or if they do something that like whatever I or if I hurt their feelings or something, sometimes it's just like, just give me a day or like it's not like, oh, rush and and reassure and you have to love me at 100 percent at all times. And like all that, like sometimes it's just like I'm let me sit in this for a little bit. I'm having a negative emotion. It's okay that I am. We don't have to like, it's not like the Sims where you have to like rush to be in green at all times. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what you mean. Oh, well, okay. I've never played the Sims. Really? I think you would like it. Uh, What do you think about working through all this stuff in therapy and not talking about it with people? Because I know you did that for a while. Um, I mean, I think it depends. I did that when I was single. Right. So that's different. I think that if you're in a relationship, you should, you know, someone like Kelly is so self-aware that like, I think she has a grasp of what are true worries and concerns and what is just her anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more that she does the work to distinguish between those two, and again, in those, and in distinguishing that, that's the reassurance and anxiety versus the communication, real problems, Mm -hmm. then she knows what to talk about and what not to talk about. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a blanket, hey, you're working on your stuff, keep it all to yourself. It's like work through your stuff, but the stuff that is actual relationship stuff, then you work through that with your partner. Rather than dumping on them everything that you are already working on with a professional. No person likes their partner to constantly ask for reassurance. I know. Like I used to be that. I've been in both sides of it. So I've been the one constantly asking for reassurance and I've been the one where my partner has asked for reassurance. Mm -hmm. And I sort of set up a boundary where I go, you can ask me one time. Oh, interesting. Like Like once a day or? Yeah, like literally once a day. Like you can ask me once a day if I love you and if I say yes, then you have to believe me. Yeah. Because after that, it's like one, it it makes me feel like you, you don't trust me or believe my words. Right. And it's like, and it's giving fuel to your insecurity, which is just going to make you loop and be more unhappy and spiral. 
Because you micro, you're like searching the person's face for like, is this true? Are they saying the whole thing? Or do they, did they twitch once to indicate right. lying? Like it's very like. It's, it's like, it's honestly an issue of self-control. It's yeah. literally the same thing as like, okay, I'm only going to eat one cookie and then you have 10 cookies. Yeah. It's like smoking. It's like an addiction. Yeah. So you have to be like, okay, everything in moderation. I can ask this one time, but that's it. Wow, I love thinking of reassurance as an addiction, like as an addictive problem. Oh, absolutely. And as an issue of self-control, primarily. Because mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to all day be like, am I a good writer? Am I a good business partner? Do you like working with me? Am I a good daughter? Like who would, you know, like yeah. everyone would want to ask that all the time. We're just not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Kelly, I think that you're in a really good spot. I think you were just in the wrong relationship. I think continue doing the work on yourself and not giving into your reassurance, but that does not mean that you shouldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I guess that was the wrong relationship. Absolutely. We've all been there. But many times. Yeah, not me. I've only had great ones. Uh. <laughs> I can't, I'm not very relatable to the people as I've only been in wonderful relationships. But like, it seems like from yeah. other people that Everyone who's been following hard. my journey knows that's so true. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Alexis McGill Johnson. So stay tuned. Just between Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Hi, today we have Alexis McGill Johnson joining us. Hello. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, well, I, um, I run the Action Fund, which is a... Um, you know, Planned Parenthood, as you know, is a, a health provider. We provide reproductive and healthcare services across the country. The Action Fund is there to defend the kinds of healthcare that we provide because, you know, uh, when you start providing care around uh, sexual and reproductive healthcare like abortion, people find ways to attack it. And uh, the Action Fund is here to defend it. And right now, while we're in quarantine, uh, those sneaky Republicans are, are trying to attack abortion more than ever, right? Can you believe it? Can you believe they would actually use a global pandemic to play a political game? Yes, I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you explain to our listeners what's going on? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, essentially, yes. I mean, they're essentially using a, a global pandemic to push a political agenda around people's lives. Um, they are tr were trying to make... Um, uh, an argument that they should, you know, essentially abortion um, because it would uh, it would it require people to come out uh, during the pandemic and that it wasn't time sensitive, which, of course, we know Planned Parenthood, abortion is time sensitive. We know that access to reproductive health care is time sensitive and it is essential. And um, and what we're seeing is actually you know, uh, women continuing to do what we always do, which is take our matters into our own hands, driving hundreds of miles out of state in, in certain um, certain parts of the country to uh, to access safe and legal abortion. And it's just unconscionable. What are some things, even anecdotally, that you're hearing about people doing uh, during the pandemic to try to access abortions or access uh, Planned Parenthood's care? 
Yeah. So, um, so there, there've been a number of states. Um, I guess I should back up a little bit, right? So that, um, obviously many states are in sheltering in place. They have these sheltering in place orders, um, um, which is a great thing to help us flatten the curve. And, um, some states decided to extend that to, uh, to offer executive orders through the, through the governors to, um, to essentially, um, ban and restrict further access. Mind you, these are, these are many of the same states that already have really restrictive access on abortion. And what people have done is they've gotten uh, on planes, they've gotten in cars, they've driven hundreds of miles, which means that they are taking the risk not only of exposing themselves, but also others to the new coronavirus. Uh, some patients may have uh, been attempting to manage self, self-manage abortion. Um, and then, of course, there will there will be many who are simply just forced to wait until it's too late and they can't actually get the care they need. Yeah, I think you said in another interview that they're using the pandemic as a cover mm-hmm. for um, this political move of like trying to make it impossible to get an abortion. And I and the problem is like in, in Texas, especially the court upheld that decision, right? Yeah, it did, but like in it's it's kind of like whiplash, right? So, um, so over mm-hmm. the last three weeks, what's happened in Texas is the executive order came down. Uh, then we sued along with uh, Center for Reproductive Rights and uh, the Lawyering Project, and and then it went to the Fifth Circuit, and then it you know, and then we had to go to this you know to the Supreme Court, and then the Fifth Circuit pulled back, and like there are all of these ways in which we've had to rely on these legal structures to protect to protect what is already a constitutional right. Um, and just recently, I guess in the last, I don't even know what, what day of the pandemic is, but, but, I, but I think just recently um, in the last couple of days, we were able to, uh, to get a stay to provide medication abortion in Texas. And so, but you know, the situation continues to be really fluid. This is really temporary relief. And behind that, what we have are stories of providers and patients who are, are you know, literally calling up patients and they're saying, you know, um, I know your appointment was scheduled tomorrow. It's now canceled. Um, or calling them back and saying, you have 24 hours to get in because we don't know what will happen next, you know. And so just the, the legal whiplash is accompanied by such emotional whiplash for for both the providers mm-hmm. and the and the patients, and um, you know that's you know the the sham piece, the cover piece, really has to affect that you know all of this is in the guise of the of the safety of the patients, and yet not only we're we exposing them to you know to other uh, to the to the pandemic, we're also just exposing them to such emotional turmoil. And just the idea that it's non-essential is just like a basic misunderstanding of the procedure in general. I can't really think of anything more essential and time sensitive. Absolutely. Yes. You said it well. It is completely time sensitive <laughs> and um, and it is essential. And, you know, no one stops needing sexual reproductive health care in a public health crisis. In fact, they need it more. Well, you also just have spoken on a little bit how it's even tougher for a lot of women right now who are stuck at home with their abusers or in, in toxic relationships and having access to this healthcare is almost, like you said, like more necessary now. Yeah. And I think, look, I mean, people are trying to survive this crisis. I'm, I'm here in New York city right now with my family and it is, it's eerie. It's scary. It is weird to be at the center of, of the pandemic, but we see what people are experiencing all across the country. They're just trying to survive the crisis. Right. And I think women in mm-hmm. particular 
are, you know, bearing the brunt of a lot of the work already in this crisis, right? They're homeschooling children. They're the ones who may be working low-wage jobs because they've been deemed essential. They, um, they are making up the majority of healthcare workers. And, you know, when you layer on um, race and, and class on, you see that Black and Latinx communities have faced harsher economic consequences, right? So in some ways, it's like, you know, they've been deemed essential workers and then at the same time told, uh, actually, but you still don't have control over your own body. And, you know, I think when you think about the, the kind of structural inequalities that impact people of color, that impact women, um, you know, to, to play with healthcare. Um, on top of that just feels um, incredibly wrong. And can you speak to a little bit about what Planned Parenthood provides in addition to abortion services? Oh, absolutely. Um, Planned Parenthood provides uh, family planning, birth control, um, sexually transmitted infection testing, so STI testing, uh, treatment, um, HIV, PEP and PrEP, um, uh, prophylaxis, um, and, you know, and also obviously safe and legal abortion. Planned Parenthood also provides sex education, sex expertise, right? So, you know, also the time that people are staying home and sheltering in place and, you know, with, with folks, uh, even if you're not in a, in a situation that is, um, that is complicated, that may be loving, you know, that may be a, a big portion of what you may be doing now. And Planned Parenthood is, you know, continues to remain open um, online through telehealth for access for um, you know, to get uh, access to those uh, services. Oh, yeah. I used to use Planned Parenthood all the time in college because I was the only affordable thing. And I think people have a misconception that it's just an abortion clinic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And look, I think that um, I, look, we, we proudly and unapologetically provide safe and legal abortion. And, you know, I, I believe that, you know, um, the more I can say that, the more Planned Parenthood can say that, I think it's critically important because, you know, people, people choose to have abortions for all kinds of reasons and, and we should not stigmatize that. Um, and there are also other, uh, you know, abortion fits within a broader spectrum of reproductive health care, um, identity care, things like mm-hmm. gender affirming hormone therapy, you know, that, you know, coming up when I did, you know, like, like we went to, you know, our girlfriends went to Planned Parenthood, you know, totally in secret, not just because it was, was affordable, but because we couldn't tell our parents that, you know, um, or we didn't have relationships with our parents to have those kinds of conversations. And so the fact that for a century, Planned Parenthood has been uh, an incredibly important, trusted provider in community and that people have seen it and understood it as being kind of that safe space to, to get care no matter what. Um, and that range of services that, you know, uh, that includes abortion, but certainly expands the full, um, the full care um, is really important to understand. Can we talk a little bit about um, outside of quarantine, what has just been like the Republicans um, plan of attack in terms of getting Roe v. Wade overturned and what you guys are doing to prevent that? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. You know, because people have asked, like, aren't you so surprised that they would use this uh, pandemic? And, you know, to your point earlier, it's like, um, no, because, in fact, <laughs> this has been, uh, it's been going on for, for quite some time. Um, I joined the board of Planned Parenthood, actually, almost a decade ago, right at the beginning of the 2010 Congress. And it was during that time, a lot of gerrymandering, a lot of redistricting, that we saw this really vehement push around um around uh, creating restrictive 
uh, targeted restrictive laws um, to restrict access to abortion um, and abortion providers. And they, um, those laws, just in the last year, we saw 303 of them being introduced in almost 47 states. So, you know, um, in state legislatures. And so, you know, uh, only a only a smaller percentage of them were um, uh, uh, were able to get through. But the idea that that under this administration in particular, the sense that um, that anti-women's health legislatures have become so emboldened around pushing um, all of these kinds of severe restrictions in the name of women's health that are really anti anti-women's health. On top of that, uh, the the courts have been remade uh, in uh, under Senator McConnell. So um, they've confirmed, I think, almost upwards of 190 conservative judges, some of whom have so little qualification, uh, except you know, for them, they believe that they uh, they will um, they will work to dismantle Roe. Um, there's one um, there's one federal judge who was confirmed on the on a um, on the bench in uh, Missouri, named Sarah Pitlick, who doesn't even believe in IVF. You know, what? So, oh, cool. Yeah. What? How is that? Okay. How is that quote unquote pro-life? Also, let me say having people drive far and wide and potentially spread the virus. How is that pro-life? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's not. <laughs> Um, it's not. And I think this is like the, it's, it's really just exposing the, the sham, right? It's exposing, I mean, literally mm-hmm. patients who are driving several hundred, you know, thousands of miles from Texas to California, right, to get access to medication abortion. They're driving to get two pills that they will take with, you know, within 24 mm-hmm. hours of each other and then getting in a car and driving back. And, you know, not, they are exposing themselves to, um, to COVID. They're exposing people around them. They're traveling, they're stopping. They may have had to get childcare taken care of, you know, I mean, all of the, mm-hmm. all of the ways in which, um, you know, it, it, one would, you know, expect people to behaving, um, in the middle of this crisis, they're asking people to go out and uh, do something differently. So, you know, again, it's, it's consistent. This has been going on for the last decade. It's really intensified under this administration. And so you have these bans, you have these judges, you have, um, 19 cases, one of, one of which has already been submitted into the, into the Supreme court, but 18 others that are winding their way up challenging these, these restrictions. And so, you know, to the bigger question around dismantling Roe, um, you know, we, we are definitely in preparation mode to, um, you know, that if Roe is not overturned in any number of these cases over the next few years, now that the, the judiciary is remade, um, it could very well be gutted to the point where um, access, you know, really depends on which state you live in. It's already somewhat like that now, depending on kind of the level of restriction, but could really be um, could really be gutted to a point where it would, it would, you could have access in California and New York and not in, not in uh, Alabama or Texas. If it was overturned, would it go back to states by state deciding if it's allowed or would it yes. be illegal federally? It would go back to the like most recent law um, uh, on, the, on the state book. So uh, again, in New York, you have the Reproductive Health Act that was passed a few years ago that was also decades in the making. Um, where Roe has been codified in the law. And then you have states like, you know, um, like a Michigan that I think has like a 1931 law on the books um, that um, that doesn't codify Roe. So, you know, so there will be a lot of work, of patchwork of 
of states where you might have reasonable um, accessibility, other states you would not. Um, and um, and our you know best estimate is that 25 million women would be living in states of reproductive age would be living in states without access in their state. So it's sort of why um, state legislatures and like local voting is so important now because in the federal government, all of these judges have been put in place who are just like actively against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the irony is that, you know, when these bans and things started to happen, we of course appealed to the courts because we knew that the state legislatures were not in our favor during the, the gerrymandering and remake of many state legislatures across the country. Uh, and so the courts were our backstop, um, just as a reproductive rights movement, right? Our backstop to kind of hold off bad law uh, while um, the political efforts um, took shape to really educate people around um, the impact of what was happening and what could happen, what could happen. So, you know, um, so the courts, um, have been holding and of these bands they've been working their way through, but as the courts have been remade, they're now in a position, um, they're in a more conservative um, uh, frame and they will, you know, um, obviously uh, have more incentive to, to do things that will um, eliminate or reduce access to abortion. In terms of pro-life, you know, the saying, quote unquote, pro-life, can you speak to like, just for our listeners who are young, like what will happen if, if abortion access is restricted, like people will die, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think, and it's, I mean, like I totally, the, the whole idea, we don't use pro-life, we use anti, anti-women's health or we anti, use, you know, right, anti-choice or, anti-choice or, or just forced pregnancy, right? I mean, like essentially that's mm-hmm. what you are, that's what, that's what someone who says they're pro-life is, is asking. They're asking uh, they're not asking. They're 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 demanding that you that if you become pregnant that you stay there, you remain pregnant. And you know, for you know, for those of us, including me, I was born. I'm, I like to say I'm, I'm as old as Roe. I was born in 1972, and uh, Roe was decided in uh, in early '73. And you know, the stories prior to Roe were of women self-managing abortion, um, and that could have meant you know, using something to, to puncture a uterus and cause a force of miscarriage. It could be use something, you know, taking kind of herbs and medicines that may induce the process. It may have meant traveling, you know, to, to get an illegal back, you know, what they then called back alley abortions where they would, you know, uh, under, under the cover of night go and see someone who um, who was providing. And I think all of those scenarios are things that, that we, we continue to see in countries that have very restrictive laws where people don't also have access to get on, you know, get on planes and, you know, fly to, to states or, or countries where access is legal. And so, you know, it is, you know, to our earlier part of the conversation, it is time sensitive. These are really even more critical times, given the the outlook of the of the world that we are, are sitting in right now, and the idea that we could be looking at a situation um, post row and having a plan for uh, a world that is that is post row, just really adds to the to the darkness. Before we move on to the next segment, which is by far not as important as this segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that's been in the in the news a lot is the Hyde Amendment, 
and um, Biden's previous support of it. Can you kind of explain what that amendment is and the importance it has and how it's sort of like become so political? Yes, absolutely. Um, So the Hyde Amendment is um, essentially kind of a provision that bars the use of federal funds to pay for abortion. And um, the, you know, the idea of the premise behind it is that uh, that taxpayers, you know, are divided on on uh, issues of abortion, and so their taxpayer dollars shouldn't go to something that they uh, that they morally disagree with. Now, where the impact of that obviously happens is not, you know, federal funds um, that are allocated, you know, through various uh, federal agencies like um, Department of Health, and um, even increasingly just through these past COVID bills, these um, Senate and House bills that have been passed over the last. Um, the CARES Act that was just passed to uh, to help us get through the pandemic. Um, the, this Congress has used, and this president has used um, again this pandemic to uh, increase restrictions, uh, expand Hyde, um, and the real impact of that is that you know for people who rely on access to things you know like Medicaid, um, who rely on federal funds like Title X to um, for family planning. It means that having having Title 10 or having something like the gag rule in place means that people who are largely low income, Black, Latinx, um, people who you know are you know already at a disadvantage will not have access to federal funds to pay for abortion. They they love their tricky little moves, don't they? <laughs> Yes, exactly. Tricky, tricky for good work. Love to stop us at every possible exactly, move. <laughs> exactly. So, what can someone do who wants to fight this? Is like, what what does that look like? Is it is it donating money to Planned Parenthood? Is it um, calling up our congressman? What can you suggest if you want to get involved? Oh, I think all these things, right? So, of course, resources are incredibly important. You know, the um, you know every day uh, patients show up at Planned Parenthood. You know to get the best quality care um, um, possible and, you know, ensuring that when they get their Planned Parenthood health centers see patients, regardless of income, regardless of, of, you know, whether or not they're documented um, or their ability to pay, right? And so, you know, so any any resources to Planned Parenthood helps offset some some of those. On the defense side, you know, um, I think there are a couple of things. I think one, just in the immediate kind of this COVID world, it is really important to like have a bigger watchdog group because to your point, they're incredibly tricky. They're out there doing, you know, all kinds of sneaky things in cloakrooms and um, and we need to be vigilant about what's coming up. So we created a, a watchdog group where if you text ENOUGH, um, E-N-O-U-G-H, to 22422, um, it'll help keep you updated on um, on the site for reproductive health and rights, and it just kind of helps us, you know, become part of the the you know expand the action network. And then, of course, you know, it's really important to call your elected and and scream and let them know that you will just not tolerate. You will vote them out. You will work hard to, you know, to uh, make sure that if they are voting uh, in ways that are anti women's health, you are going to you know hold them accountable. And I think it's also really important for people who are taking hard votes and they are out there um, to call and be their champion and say thank you because, you know, our champions need support. Um, and the last thing is just vote. You know, we have the most critical thing we'll do this year is vote in, in November. And we need to make sure that the White House 
um, becomes uh, a place that supports reproductive health, we need to change the Senate so that we can we can change the courts, and um, and we need to hold the House so we can protect all of the pro-choice champions that we have seen, um, you know, really, really hold the line um, over the last uh, um, two years um, since they came in, in 2018. And so I think, you know, anything we can do to defend them, is, um, you know, on those three levels um, would be fantastic. That's incredible. I just also quickly before we get to the game, I want to say we have a lot of queer and trans listeners and uh this applies to them as well. I think a lot of times trans men or trans masculine people are left out of the reproductive health conversation. So uh, whenever it has been referred to as women's health, I just want to, for our listeners and our base, uh, say that this is very important for queer people and that all of this same stuff applies to uh, anyone with a uterus. Okay, Absolutely. now onto the game. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I appreciate that. I think that was a really great and very um, gentle call in. And um, I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Do you appreciate a game called Hypotheticals? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> okay, so you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want, and then you tell me what you would do in that scenario, um, and I just decide if I like your answer. So our first game is, would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your significant other of 42 years poked a hole in his condom when you were dating. <gasps> This resulted in you getting pregnant with your first child, who is now 41 and wonderful. Would you stay with this condom-poking cheater who has turned out to be a great dad? I'm shook. <laughs> I am too. I am shook to my core. Alexis, what would you do? <laughs> oh, um, 41 years later, how old am I? You are 70. I'm 70. Um, am I still keep, yes. am I, am I, can I still catch? You're banging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, 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 I might have to think about it. I might have to, uh, I, I, I don't have a clear answer. I really love that. If you are still hot was taken into consideration. <laughs> uh, wow. That is fucked up. I don't know. Alice, this you is a good one, right? me. <gasps> Oh I my think, god. I think the right answer is that they have to pay like a fine to you <laughs> every week. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my god, buy me a car. Yeah, like they have to like they have to like become do all the chores, pay you money. Wow, that is so <laughs> fucked up. That's a really good hypothetical. Wow, that made me think. Thank you so much. Here's our next one. Are you a terrible parent? Your adult daughter has gotten very into crystals and doesn't believe in Western medicine anymore. One day, she falls very ill but refuses to go to the doctor. So you drug her tea and take her in. She receives some much-needed antibiotics, but then when she wakes up at the hospital, she refuses to speak to you. Are you a terrible parent? 76% chance she would have died without you interfering. Oh, my God. Oh, this one's clear for me. I, you're no, I'm, I am a fabulous parent. And as I always tell my girls, I'm your parent, not your friend. My mom always said that to me too. Mm -hmm. Wow. My parents were real opposite. My parents were like, we're your buddies. <laughs> uh, God, I don't know. Is no oh, qualms man. here. No qualms here. It's about her. It's about saving her life. And it's about making sure that the best that, that we use the best 
uh, medicine available that we know. Um, and I, you know, I am, um, I'm also an empiricist and a researcher. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, with the Western medicine. Alexis wins. That was the correct answer. Wow. There was a correct answer. Yeah, that one had, that one was black and white for me. (laughs) Okay. Our final question for the win. Okay. Would you lie or tell the truth? You find out your spouse's best friend in the entire world is pro-life. They have kept this a secret from your spouse on purpose and beg you not to tell them. Would you lie or tell the truth? You made the discovery after finding their posts on an alt-right pro-life forum you were reading for research. Yikes. (sighs) Oh, my God. Would you tell your spouse that their best friend was anti-choice? Um... Yeah, I think you have to. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I think you have to. Because it's like spousal, like when something's a secret, is it a secret or is it a secret and then your partner can know about it? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think these are really strong, um, strong viewpoints and strong values and people need to be able to make uh, decisions about how they interact with folks. And I think it's really important if you, if you see something, say something. Again, correct answer. Yeah, wow. Alexis wins. Alexis is the winner. (laughs) Fun. You can tell everyone you know that you won hypotheticals. That'll mean a lot to them. I will. I need a button. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about everything that you're doing? Um, PlannedParenthood.org. Simple. Pretty simple. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alexis. I really appreciate it. Thanks. It was great to be with you guys. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about sleeping, not the fun kind. Well, sort of. What? I don't know. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. X, 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 Z, 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 Z. <laughs> Was that like a snore? <laughs> yeah, a snore. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because this week we'll be talking all about sleep, baby. Like how people fake sleep where they go, ah, ah, and it's like, that's never how anyone has slept in the history of time. Or they go like, ah, ah, you know what I mean? When you're like fake sleeping. Sure. Whatever. Anyway, the point <laughs> is, is that that's not how people sleep. Um. So sleep is so strange and also so personal. So like. I have very specific things that I need to be able to sleep. Okay. Which is primarily a very smushy pillow. So some, I have to like travel with my pillow or else I have a really hard time because I think that I have a short neck <laughs> and so I can't sleep on a high pillow. I need a very smushy pillow. And when I've traveled without it, I've, I've had to resort to using towels yes, as a pillow. I remember this. I've used uh, bathrobes as a pillow. I think I've used like a sweatshirt as a pillow. Because it needs to be mushier than pillows typically are? Yes. Wow, interesting. Is that your only thing that you have? And I also really like to clutch something to my body, which is often a pillow. (laughs) Wow, so there's a lot of pillow-based situations happening. Yeah, like I don't care at all about the mattress. The mattress can be anything. Wow, but I have to have a very soft pillow. Then I also clutch a pillow to my body. I am shook by people who can just fall asleep anywhere. 
Like oh, people yeah. who are just asleep in the car or people who are just like asleep on airplanes. I'm like, what's that it's like? Awesome. What is your life like? I nap a lot, but I don't know if I necessarily fall asleep during my naps. What? Like I'm always napping, but like I'm awake. You mean you're just la- that's just called laying down. Yeah, but my eyes are closed. I'm not like reading or watching TV. Like I'm I'm having a serious rest. But you're not asleep. No. Interesting. Sometimes, sometimes, very rarely, I'll fall asleep during a nap. But most of the time, I'm just resting. Wow, we've really redefined nap right now. <laughs> Do you nap? No. I am, I can't sleep at all. It's horrible. I wake up so easily. Like a, like a, mm-hmm. a, a dog could bark like 40 streets away and I'll be like, I'm up. Uh, yeah. I wear earplugs. I wear a face mask like over my eyes. I have blackout curtains. I have a, like a little um, sea salt lamp that I use. Like it is a full production. Sometimes what is a sea salt lamp? Uh, like it's like a lamp that has like warm, like little warm lighting uh, oh. that I'll sometimes put on. I have sometimes like a, a white noise type thing on my, I'll put like that on my phone or like a sleep meditation on my phone. Once again, I recommend the honest guys. That's a good sleep meditation situation. Like it is bad. And and um, I take uh, I also take medication to sleep and it still doesn't work. Sometimes it does. Well, I've tried Ambien. And let me tell you, that's a journey. Ambien is crazy because you are awake and walking around and functioning. If you don't go to bed right away, you are awake and walking around and functioning and you think you will remember everything and you don't really. The first time I took Ambien, I went to sleep in one outfit and woke up wearing completely different clothes. Well, I often strip in the night. No, I'm talking about like I had changed my pants and you were changed in a suit. my I was <laughs> I was wearing a full tuxedo. <laughs> and I don't even own a tuxedo. It was crazy. <laughs> no, like it's weird to wake up in different clothes than what you were wearing. And be like, yes, wow, okay. I I have like fully ha- had conversations with people on Ambien and I don't remember it. Like it is a wild drug. Why are you not just immediately going to sleep? I have to now. That's the new thing is that I have not new, but like the first three times I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, no, 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 no. So I now I just go right to sleep if I take it. But would you rather do Ambien than weed? Weed has been helpful. And I'm also worried that because I usually take something to go to sleep, that it's a dependency. Yeah, but honestly, that's okay if if it's like. I think if you like need weed to go to sleep, it's fine because it's like not hurting your body. No, no, or no. Weed, absolutely. The the medications like I take Seroquel or uh, Clonopin or something like that. That's no bueno. That's but like then why don't you just take weed instead? Yeah, I should. I will. Sometimes I do. I switch it off. I switch just on get and off. Some indica gummies. Yeah, I mean it's like I, I don't understand why. Because I'll be tired, but I just can't. Like, my brain is going, 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 going. Always. Do you read before you go to bed? Uh, no. A lot of times I'll listen. I'll listen to a podcast and close my eyes. Or I'll listen to, like, a meditation. I'll close my eyes. I think you should try reading before you go to bed. Why? Uh, I just think that it's, one, it's, like, a really nice habit to get into. So then you're like, oh, this is my sleep time. It's reading time. Mm -hmm. And then, um... It also will like tire out your eyes without you uh, having to like look at a screen that's bad for you. Yeah, that's very true. 
and you can feel like you can read until you get truly tired. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think people have suggested that or that's sort of a thing that would be great to do. Yeah, it's like a a struggle. And I'm also like tired during the day, but I don't, I never nap because I'm like, ugh, if I nap, it's over. Just nap. Take (laughs) it where you can get it. Sleep, comma, take it where you can get it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think also like it's hard to, once you get into the habit of needing a bunch of stuff to go to sleep, it's like, I think maybe, I think maybe that is bad for me too, because it's now I'm dependent on all of these things. I think that the word dependent is confusing because it's like some, it's like, it feels inherently bad, but like what if you're dependent on the habit of reading before bed, that's not bad. Like, I think that it would be good if you set up like a, a ritual before bed every night mm-hmm. so that you're, you're doing the same thing every night so that your body knows it's sleep time. Are you going to bed at a reasonable hour in the quarantine? Yeah, I've got nothing to do. (laughs) Uh, But now that it doesn't matter when you wake up most days, you know. But Jake has to wake up. Oh, yeah. What? How's that sharing a bed? Jake is the first person I've been able to successfully share a bed with. Like I used to not be able to share a bed and like actually sleep. Mm -hmm. And Jake, I can I think it helps that like our bed is a king, but we've traveled and had to share queen and I've slept fine. I think that a lot of that is because I feel like I finally feel like comfortable. Yeah. My partner loves like cuddling to sleep. Mm-hmm. I And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I, I mean, look, this is what happens when a Gemini dates a cancer. It's like, very much like uh, you don't what was funny is Mal was like when Mal was staying here Mal was like you don't cuddle me enough but my dog loves to cuddle like my dog is also like incredibly needy and wants to be like on you and cuddle so the two of them take care of each other like I'll be on one side of the bed like able to sleep by myself and Mal and Beans are just cuddled together because I'm not able to provide what either of them (laughs) needs yeah we don't cuddle like to to go to sleep really (laughs) But. Yeah, I ugh, I know people find that romantic, but it's like, I don't know. You can always like do it for five minutes and then move away. Yeah. I That's feel, what we'll do. Yeah, I feel bad. Like it's not long term. No one's expecting to actually fall asleep this way. Beans will, Beans wants to spoon. Like Beans. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is Sugar's a, not interested. Oh, Beans is a cuddle bug. And he wants it. And I'm like, so I'll, I'll get a lot of times, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm up, like I'm up, I like wake up and I don't go back to bed. Like I get coffee. I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. Mal and beans, they could be in bed for an hour. They don't care. Like they're just like lounging. And so I leave them. I'm like, you guys have fun. I could sleep forever. Yeah. You like sleeping. Like I could go to sleep at 10 and sleep till 10 no problem I could sleep till like 3 if I wanted to I just don't let myself really yeah I love sleep oh man I but also I wake up all the time throughout the night mm-hmm. and I have a lot of bad dreams so yes. I don't really know why I love sleep what's your <laughs> what's your reoccurring dream my reoccurring dream is that um I'm at a, a school but I don't know where or when my classes are Mm -hmm. and I know that I can access that schedule somehow but I can never figure out how to get it in Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. or where the building is Mm -hmm. now my other reoccurring dream is that I'm driving a car that brakes are not working and you can't the car crashes or it just breaks 
we just keep going and I just keep trying to avoid stuff. Oh. And then my other reoccurring dream that I haven't had in a long time is that I can't see because I have so many contacts in my eyes. <laughs> and I keep pulling the contacts out of my eyes and there's more and more contacts. And then at a certain point, my arms stop working. <laughs> Holy shit. What are your reoccurring dreams? I have dreams? a reoccurring dream about zombies, zombie apocalypse, okay. that I'm trying to run from zombies and they keep finding me. Um, I have a reoccurring dream about uh, sitting on a carpet and pulling my own teeth out one by one. Oh, yeah. That I have loose teeth. And that mm-hmm. they are, they're not that they're falling out, that I'm pulling them out, which is cool. An anxiety dream is that your teeth fall out and you don't have any control over it. And my anxiety dream is that I pull my own teeth out almost as if like, I'm like, yeah, the bad thing's going to happen. But you know what? Fuck it. I'll sabotage it first, bitch. Like, I'll, <laughs> you think my teeth are going to fall out, bitch? I'll tear them out, which is like <laughs> so indicative of a lot of things. Um, and then I also have one that I'm like looking at screens and stuff but they don't work did you ever see that movie waking life no but all the time i need to send messages in my dreams and it won't won't work yeah like I keep clicking the wrong buttons and it won't send the right message so in this movie waking life they talk about how you can know if something's a dream because light switches don't work so if you try to turn lights on and off in a dream it won't work so phones are similar if you try to like use your phone in a dream it won't work something huh. about our brains interesting it's a very trippy movie yeah, you know what movie I didn't like? Mm. Inception. It made no sense. <laughs> I loved it. I saw it three times in theaters. Yeah, we're not a couple. <laughs> um, but I, I really think that you should set up a ritual for your bedtime. Okay, and I, I would really, I would recommend Indica Edibles mm-hmm. about an hour before you want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And then when you want to go to bed, you read until you fall asleep. Okay, I'll try that. And I would recommend getting a Kindle so that you can read with the light off. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I will. Okay. I'll, I'll, that's a good thing to try. I can also read with the little, like, you know, orangey light lamp on. Yeah. But I just think sometimes it's, it helps to be reading in the dark. Okay. And then, and then all you need to do is like click a little button and you don't need to like get out of bed or anything. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep. Okay. I'll try that. Tamika, come on in and tell us all about your sleeping habits and reoccurring dreams. <laughs> Hello. Hi. What are your reoccurring dreams? Oh, my gosh. They've actually evolved, um, which I think is a good sign. But the one that keeps coming back is the dream where you're in a car and you're not the one driving. <laughs> like someone else behind the wheel or there's no one behind the wheel. Ooh. That's it's a little freaky but I'm so used to that one the newer one is like there's some sort of apocalypse and I'm trying to escape like a bunker of some kind yes apocalypse I have that yep yep I wonder where that's coming from yeah I don't know but it's always you know having to be strategic and like you know run from things and you know you're in this enclosed place kind of thing so I think it's probably because of what's going on in the world not sure it's also about control. I can believe that. What did we think of this episode? It's really good. I mean, we learned a lot. Oh, my God. Like, that, Alexis was so great. This is so important. And, like, this was such a good angle to talk to her about. <sighs> like, we just have to be so vigilant about all this type of stuff. And I love the emphasis on voting locally, mm-hmm. uh, which is a thing we have to constantly be reminded of. 
It's also just like really, I think, helpful to remember that like it's actual humans behind this fight because mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood is such an institution in my head. But then like getting to like have an actual face and voice to that fight is so helpful mm-hmm. and also like makes you realize that like, oh, it's not necessarily this indestructible entity. Like we actually all have to like really work together to fight this thing. Yeah, I'm always in awe of people who have dedicated their lives to helping other people and doing Mm -hmm. like all this work that is sort of thankless and a little bit behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure like she gets attacked all the time and I'm sure it's like so frustrating and you're just like standing up to this stuff and banging your head against the wall and the person who agrees to take that on, I'm like, I'm in awe of you. And she just had a lovely voice. Very soothing. What do we rate the episode? I rate it, um... Five out of five therapized Kellys. Ooh, very good. Mm-hmm. Tamika? I had an idea, but I don't know what it's called. Do you know, like, when you when you go to sleep and you have to have a specific thing? Safety blanket? Safety blanket. Mm-hmm. I think the pillow and, like, needing something soft beneath your head is, like, a safety blanket type of thing. That's what it reminded me of. So I was going to say seven out of seven safety blankets. I just have a very small neck. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Measure your neck, please. I rate it nine out of seven tiny necks. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. Thank you so much to Alexis McGill-Johnson for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon, and our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. <gasps> How is that different as- from what I was doing? I fell asleep. <laughs> Stitcher.